running backs does a team really need? I have a feeling the Steelers are about to test that number. Good morning to you. Good Friday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports and the newly reborn DK Sports Radio Podcasting Network, which brings you this program, Daily Shot, every Monday through Friday, bright and early, and a lot of other stuff. Wherever it is that you listen to podcasts, whether it's Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, you name it, please make sure you set us to automatic downloads. Offers you everything that we do, and you know, you just kind of take your pick and listen to whatever you want, whenever you want it. The Steelers have been in training camp all week, and obviously it, it doesn't feel like it. There's no real visuals out of there other than you know a handful of video clips and some photographs that are being sent out uh, no media coverage from in there yet there will be within a couple of weeks once the team starts padded practices and that'll be fine but it'll still be very different than Latrobe and not just because y- you can't get that wonderful atmosphere with all the fans filling up the bleachers at Chuck Knoll Field, uh, loading up on the hillsides, uh, lining up along that serpentine that takes the players down to the field in which they're, it seems unthinkable now, right, but high-fiving and you know shaking hands and all that other stuff that we couldn't even dream of doing right now. The beautiful atmosphere that's out there. I'm looking forward to the day when that can happen again. I'm looking forward to getting into training camp once uh, that's possible. It won't be long. Mike Tomlin met with reporters via Zoom call, of course, yesterday. And I'm going to touch more on that in the second segment today. They're not in a position, the Steelers aren't, to be getting into too many specifics as it relates to the roster expectations. Mostly what Tomlin discussed uh, was procedural, uh, how he plans to go about conducting this camp, how he plans to go about introducing uh, physical contact, how he can make up for five preseason games being lost. Remember, the Steelers were in the Hall of Fame game too, and that got wiped out before anything else. Now all of the preseason games are gone. They open the season September 14 in East Rutherford, New Jersey against the Giants. That is obviously six weeks away. So there's a lot of training camp. There's a lot of practicing that can be done. Heck, even within the scope of the 14 padded practices at the new labor agreements allowing, they can still get, you know, enough of that. And boy, did Tomlin make it clear that he plans to utilize every last minute of those practices to precisely that effect. But you know what we're going to miss out on more than anything I just mentioned? More than anything is the glory that is watching running back competitions in the preseason games. You know exactly what I'm talking about. It's the only reason anybody watches the second half of a preseason game. It's not to see whether Paxton Lynch can beat out Duck Hodges. It's to see the running backs. Because we see these guys, and they're 
wearing an NFL uniform and they're running around other people wearing NFL uniforms and we think this is a star. This would have been one of the coolest preseasons the Steelers have had in recent memory from the running back standpoint alone. Maybe in some ways it'll still be that. Because here's the funny thing. On a general roster, normal year, the Steelers are going to carry three running backs on a 53-man roster. Um, That's the way it's been for a long time. In a year like this, where don't forget the rosters go up to 55, a slight expansion, I think there's a chance you could see as many as five running backs make the team. And when it happens, you're going to have a lot of people wondering what the Steelers' motivation is there. Because I don't think you're going to see all five of them be productive special teams players, which is usually the reason you would keep uh, someone around who you know doesn't really have that great of a chance to make it. But in this environment, of course, meaning coronavirus and everything else that that touches in sports, when you keep someone on your roster and you keep someone on the practice squad, you want it to be people who are going to be able to step in and contribute right away when needed. So my first thought in picking up these signs that the Steelers might do this, and the signs are everywhere, by the way. I mean, if you want to skip past the five guys uh, that are already in the fold and just look at the fact that they signed Wendell Smallwood, uh, if that name sounds familiar, he's a pretty good player at West Virginia. Couple years with the Eagles, one with the Redskins. Nothing great. Had 348 yards one of those years. It was in 2018. Three touchdowns. I mean, he got on the field. He played. He's an NFL running back. You're only signing a sixth running back if you feel that you need five. You know what I'm saying? Because if you want five, you're not going to enter camp with five. You're going to enter with. Uh, one, maybe even two more to make sure that injuries and other attrition won't affect your goal. The lead man, of course, is James Conner, and he's going to be more of a lead man than I think some might realize. Uh, James is going to get the football. James is going to get the opportunity to be the 2018 Pro Bowl version again. He's going to get the ball. He's going to get the touches. That doesn't mean he's going to be out there every series. That doesn't mean he won't be spelled every third series. I think you might see that. I think you're going to see series where Jalen Samuels goes out there. It gives maybe a little bit of a different look, a pass-catching threat. You're going to see a series that Benny Snell comes out. Similar runner, runs between the tackles, obviously not as much of a threat in catching the ball. But it's James's position. No one has left any doubts about that. Not Tomlin, not Kevin Colbert. It's James's position. They see the ceiling at running back as being the 2018 version of James. I'm way past being cynical and skeptical about his ability to stay on the field. Saying even more about it would sound like piling on. Until he does it. Until he stays out there. Until he makes it through 
a whole game that he's actually started, which is the thing that was killing him last year. Was he'd come out in the middle of the game, and they didn't have somebody ready on the sideline to take his place. I mean, at least not from a depth standpoint. Until that happens, I'm not a buyer. I am a buyer in his talent. I'm definitely a buyer in what he did in 2018, in which he performed the unthinkable in doing better than Le'Veon Bell the year that Lev left. Nobody thought that was going to happen, but it did. He was a better player that year than Lev was the year before. We'll see. Jalen Samuels has a lot to add to his game. He can't be a flashing neon sign as he sprints out onto the field that lets everybody know that a pass is coming out of the backfield. He's got to be able to do more. He's got to be more complete the way he was in that unforgettable 200-plus all-purpose yards game against the Patriots a couple years ago. He's got to be that player. He's got to show that he can do more than just catch the ball out of the flat. I'm not super optimistic on that front. Benny Snell, I don't know. You know, we we watched him late in the year, and, and he did some good things, especially in the home game against Cleveland where he was going right between the tackles and, and punishing the Browns. And a fairly decent, not great, but a fairly decent defensive line just going right through them. That was encouraging, too. He's a little bit too one-dimensional as well. Here's where I get interested in this. If, if I sound like I'm not all that pumped about that particular group for various reasons. Anthony McFarland is the fourth-round pick the Steelers made out of the University of Maryland. That's also where Dino Tomlin, Coach Mike's son, goes to school and plays in that program. So Mike Tomlin got to see an awful lot of him. And that, that's, that's a healthy thing in football. You want to lay eyes on people. You want to see more than just film and highlights and hear from scouts. When you see them uh, on a regular basis, as is true of all of us, you get to see the good, the bad, the whatever. And they liked this kid. They liked him enough that they would have taken him higher had they felt that there was a chance that somebody else would. McFarland had a good many injuries, especially over the last year and change with the Terrapins. But when he was healthy and he went wild running over Ohio State for 200-plus yards, uh, he was a Willie Parker-looking threat. He was somebody who, when he found space, when he found grass, uh, he exploded. He turned a little bit of something into a lot of something. The Steelers haven't had that player, that running back, in a long time. Le'Veon Bell most definitely wasn't it. Uh, for as many great things as you can say about Lev and all his touches, uh, his dual-purpose threat, heck, his blocking, his ability to pick up blitzes, he did everything well, except for one thing. He didn't break big plays. His last full season with the Steelers, his longest run was 43 yards. Now, 43 yards is a nice play, but he got a ton of touches, and he never broke one bigger than that. Never found that daylight the whole way. That's what this kid does. And I hope that there's a way that the Steelers at least 
keep their minds open in this very strange camp that they're conducting, that they're forced to conduct, where the rookies, who for the most part are the only ones that are there that are doing things, if you're not aware of this, in terms of participation out on the field and things that are organized. There's veterans that are going in and out, but this is really still a rookie portion of this camp. There's nothing that kid or any kid, Chase Claypool, Alex Highsmith, any of, the, any of the other rookies from the draft class can do on that field to impress anybody. There's, he's not going to make the team. You know, Hey, coach, look at my jumping jacks over here. It's not going to happen. But I hope they're at least open-minded to him because that's where the other guy comes in. If you'll notice, I've mentioned four, and then I've mentioned the sixth guy, but I didn't mention the fifth. The fifth is Kareth White. If that name at least rings a bell, it means you were paying attention very closely last year to some of the Steelers' more frustrating offensive escapades. Kareth White was a guy who, when he'd get the ball, and there was that little bit of daylight, he'd hit it. Now, he wasn't going to go for 80 yards or whatever, but he'd hit it, and he'd squirt through there. He's not the biggest dude. You don't ever, ever use the word squirt, by the way, for a big dude. That's just not a verb that goes with a big dude. Kareth White would get the ball, and he'd get through there in a big hurry, and then he'd find some additional daylight and turn it into something. We saw it a few times, and we got a little bit excited about it, but then he didn't he didn't play all that much. He didn't get that many touches, didn't get that many snaps. One thing about a guy like Kareth White is that when he does get dropped behind the line of scrimmage, it tends to be ugly. You know what I'm saying? Uh, the linebacker will just bust through, they find the little guy, and they slam him down, and you can just picture the offensive coordinator, the head coach, whoever, just going, okay, we're not doing that again. That's the curse of the little guy. The truth is, is Willie Parker's games looked a lot like that too. Willie was fast Willie for a reason. He wasn't sturdy Willie. I mean, they, they, somebody would go into the backfield and they'd get him and they'd put him on his keister. When Willie broke the big 75-yarder in the Super Bowl, he did so because of a spectacular block by soon-to-be Hall of Famer Alan Fanica pulling out to his right. Willie hit the hole beautifully and then he exploded out of it taking no credit away, he did his role. But the little guys need that sometimes, so they don't look like feature backs. So Kareth White didn't get out there all that much. Kareth White is, however, something of an NFL veteran. He's certainly been around longer than Anthony McFarland has. And I'm hoping that somehow, just as the Steelers would try, you'd think, to figure out ways to work Chase Claypool in should he make some good catches in this camp, in practices, in drills, in scrimmages, whatever it is that they're capable of doing in this environment. Just as you hope that they'll let Alex Highsmith onto the field if he shows that he can sufficiently spell Bud Dupree and or T.J. Watt outside linebacker, considering there's really almost no depth at at that position right now, as great as the two starters are. You want to see them at least find a way to get these guys a chance. That's not going to be easy. I 
would not criticize them if they couldn't do it, but I would criticize them if they wouldn't do it. And that applies to McFarland maybe more than anybody. I would love to see a setting in which Ben Roethlisberger evenly distributes the ball to his main receivers. The obvious guys, Juju, Deontay, James Washington. Occasionally takes the field in a two-tight end set, which, by the way, Tomlin acknowledged on this call yesterday, is an option that they're considering, having both Eric Ebron and Vance McDonald out there at the same time, which will really be fun. But just picture now having all these big dudes out there and all these other options. And instead of bringing Connor out there, instead of bringing Snell out there, instead of bringing a one-trick guy and Jalen Samuels out there, you send Anthony McFarland out there. Teams would love to be able to spy a guy like that. They'd love to be able to say, look, we have to make sure that he can't find that daylight. He can't hit that big play on us. They can't. They can't afford to do it. They're going to be looking for a receiver to double. Maybe it's not Juju. Maybe it'll be Deontay. Who knows? They're going to be looking to get other people onto the field if it's a too tight end set that can hang with those guys. They can run with those guys and go up for the ball with those guys, which are, by the way, three very different things. They're not going to be paying any attention whatsoever to the 5'11 guy in the backfield who's just going to explode with the ball if he finds that grass. I'd love to see that be part of this offense. Not If that sounds exceedingly gimmicky, especially to be thinking about six weeks out, so be it. But I'll say it again, it's a weapon that the Steelers have not had in a long time. And it sure would be fun to see them use the one that they've just found. When we come back, some neat stuff about Mike Tomlin. You know, people can surprise you. They can also disappoint you, obviously, but it's a really, really good feeling when there's someone you kind of liked, kind of respected, weren't necessarily sure how they were with you, and then they just kind of rise up one day and you go, oh, that's cool. I'll get to that in a second. The second segment of Daily Shot is always Brought to you by the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank. During normal times, one in seven people in our region are food insecure, including one in five children. Not knowing where your next meal is coming from can be a scary thought. And now, during the pandemic, the need for food is that much greater. If you are in need of food assistance, or if you'd just like to support the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank, visit pittsburghfoodbank.com. Org. Spell out those first three words. Don't do any PGH or anything like that. PittsburghFoodBank.org. One dollar can provide enough food for up to five meals. So Mike Tomlin's on this call with reporters yesterday. He's got one of these sponsored backdrops and everything. And he takes questions for about 
13, 14 minutes. Bert Loughton, his longtime media relations man, is there with him. And I want you to hear this. The first voice that you hear is Bert basically ending the session by saying that's all for coach and on whatever else and after that you'll hear Tomlin listen to this whole thing okay thank you everyone thanks coach hey guys I I appreciate just in general I appreciate um you guys throughout all of this I recognize these are unusual circumstances um I look forward to maybe accommodating you guys in in whatever ways we need to accommodate you so if you have additional questions if things come up uh, please reach out to Bert, man. I'm going to work my tail off to give you guys what it is you need. I understand that this environment is a challenge for you as well, and I want to do my part in terms of lessening that uh, if and when I can. All right. Thank you, Coach. How about that, huh? That, to know the relationship between Bert Loughton and Mike Tomlin is to know that Bert didn't put the coach up to that. I'm trying to find a nice way to say that. Respectful to Bert. Uh, nobody tells coach what to do. Bert doesn't tell the coach what to do. Bert doesn't make that recommendation. Hey, coach, say something nice to the reporters. The reason that I'm sharing this with you is not necessarily because I think that Tomlin's going to find you know an extra half hour of his day every day to be taking one-on-one calls. Uh, from reporters. Not that Dale Lolly won't be testing it. I can promise you that. I share it more because this is someone, and I've described Tomlin this way in my writing at times over the years, who seems remarkably aloof in certain situations, even as he's very much visibly, powerfully engaged in a lot of other areas. And you wonder what it is that he's paying attention to and what it is that he's not paying attention to because he is so locked in on football, the football players, the people working with the football players, all the details. Uh, Obsessive does not begin to describe the man's drive or personality. Look, you can like or dislike whatever you want about his performance, whether it's in games, replay challenges, you name it, over the years. Or, or just the fact that there's been three playoff wins over nine years. It's, it, it hasn't been good enough, certainly, in the postseason. It hasn't been good enough for the last couple of years not making the playoffs, regardless of all the other asterisks that accompany those. It's not good enough. You're free to feel how you want. The one thing that nobody could, and I don't think would, question or doubt is the commitment to the craft. He is zeroed in at all times. And there can be occasionally people who are around that setting, not just reporters, but others, who wonder, does... Does he even like know I'm alive? You know, is does is he is he being phony when he's with the players, or is he phony whenever he's talking to the reporters? Is he just talking to the reporters when he's forced to? Is he talking to just his buddies among the reporters? How does that contribute to his personality as a football coach, or how does it help define it? I should say, because people skills are part of it, and when. 
speaking just for myself, when I see him with players and I watch how he interacts with them, how he pushes each individual button of each of the used to be 90 guys, it's going to be 80 in this camp, he finds out everything about them. And then he pokes them and he prods them and he lets them know that he's paying attention, that he's noticing. But on the periphery, it can seem like he's just looking right over your head. Which takes me back to London. Remember when the Steelers went over there 0-3? Uh, and it was it just felt like the, the end of the world. Little did we know that was going to be in 2020, but... The Steelers fly over their 0-3. The Vikings were 0-3. Stadium was going to be full. Wembley Stadium, of all places. Historic Wembley Stadium. 80,000 people in there. Uh, Global cameras on it. All kinds of attention for two 0-3 teams. And a fair number of Pittsburgh reporters, myself included, flew over there to cover that. Actually had to go over earlier in the week. You know, just for the whole acclamation. Put that in big quotes. It just means we want to spend some extra time in London. And the game goes terribly, exactly the way you would expect two 0-3 teams to play, and it went that much worse for Pittsburgh, losing that to fall to 0-4. And this was a proud group of people uh, on this team, not just Ben, Troy, Kiesel, uh, Heath, uh, just uh, right down the line. I mean, it just the guys that could not stomach being 0-4 for a split second. And Tomlin comes into this press room, and he takes his usual questions, and he takes them in his usual way. You've seen it. A lot of fans don't like the way he is with the media. Most media really don't care. Uh, I definitely don't care. But he handles them in the, in the you know, typical, well, you know, we did some good things. We're trying to get better, whatever else here. It's not good enough. These aren't the results that we want, whatever. And it was like a any other press conference that he's ever had. And then the thing ends, and he's always the first one out of the room. That's just how that works uh, because he just bolts out. And he bolts out in the direction of, of one of the soccer locker rooms where the Steelers were getting dressed. And rather than going to his office or going into the room to see the players, he stands by the door. And I'm like, I saw that the reporters were having a slower time than usual, the ones ahead of me, getting into the room. And I was wondering what's going on because I could see Tomlin there. And as my turn comes up, so to speak... He puts out his hand, shakes his hand, and thanks me for flying to England to cover the Steelers. You didn't have to do that, he said. It's appreciated. We appreciate it. Never mind that when I get back to my seat, I'm going to viscerate this team like you can't imagine, and the head coach, and everybody involved. But it was there was the one moment right there that I'd ever really had with a guy, that and running into him and his kids at a basketball game once and just shooting the breeze for a little bit. 
that it felt like there was a, an actual human interaction, that he did notice, he did pay attention. We do exist. Why do you care about this? You don't. I'm not being naive here, okay? No one cares how reporters are treated or not treated. I'm sharing this and the other story to let you know that whatever perception that you might have when you see Tomlin having these post-game press conferences and, and you think to yourself, and I hear this a lot from years, wow, he really hates you guys or something. I don't think that's it. We're just not important. Or at least not that important to what he's doing as a football coach. And I totally get that. I totally understand that and I totally respect it because we aren't. We're just people that are hanging around writing stuff. And then when it most surprises you, he does notice. He does let you know he has seen you. He's made eye contact. He knows your name. He's been watching all along. Today at 11 a.m. will be our Friday Pirates podcast with Alex Stumpf and Noah Hiles. Alex is out in Chicago covering Pirates versus Cubs tonight at 8.15 from Wrigley Field. Tomorrow night in Toronto, it'll be Penguins versus Canadians in Game 1 of the preliminary round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Thank you so much for listening to this. This show will be back Monday morning. Your front door, your car, your gym locker, your bike, your computer, your window, your gun. Safety is a habit. Every day you lock and secure your home, car, and everything you want to keep safe. Gun safety and responsible storage are no different and the best way to help prevent accidents, misuse, and theft. If you own a firearm, it's your responsibility to store it safely when it's not in use. Choose a system that works for you. Cable locks, lock boxes, and gun safes are some of the most effective ways to protect your family and keep firearms secured. Learn more about how to keep guns safe and secure and find out how to get a free firearm safety kit. Visit projectchildsafe.org. That's projectchildsafe.org. If you have a firearm, own it, respect it, and secure it. Brought to you by the National Shooting Sports Foundation and the Bureau of Justice Assistance.